Welcome to the Athlete Performance Education Podcast, where we aim to educate, empower, and excel athletes and coaches to the next level of performance. Welcome back to another episode of the APE Podcast. I'm joined again by Coach Nathan and Coach Stefan. And in today's episode, we're going to be going into our predictions and trends for 2021. We're going to dive into what we expect that might happen across the fitness environment over the next year and also uh, put some predictions of what we might expect to see in sports performance settings, both professional and amateur environments. So hopefully there's some useful pieces of information in here, some things to consider with your own physical preparation and athlete management. And as always, if you have any questions or anything, please contact us on our social platforms. So welcome, Nath. Welcome, Stefan. Um, I hope you're both doing well. Um, things are going really well for us in terms of being in, in Melbourne, Australia and, and, and the COVID situation, we're a pretty good thing. But obviously there's been a lot of change last year with how sports performance is run, how health and fitness is delivered. So going off the back of that, um, Nate, do you want to hit us with your sort of first prediction for what we might see in 2021? Yeah, sure. Um, well, 2020 was obviously a rough ride for everyone. Um, COVID um, definitely... Uh, tipped us over upside down. And um, so in terms of that, um, you know, looking at, I guess, the, the athletic population, um, you know, those that were playing sports, you know, I guess training two to three times a week um, and then playing games on the weekends, you know, that all stopped, I guess, in Melbourne uh, for quite some, some time. And, um, you know, a lot of us were locked in our houses and then, you know, being able to, to train for you know one hour you know outdoors one hour per per day and all that sort of stuff so i think um you know we've kind of already seen it actually starting so sports are starting to i guess get back into its normal um kind of capacity and um i guess for the trend of i think for 2021 would be actually an increase of um, athletes getting injured um due to the you know the inactivity and you know not being physically, I guess, prepared for the demands um, of, of the sport. So, um, you know, I've definitely seen seen it. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have, but even in professional sport, we've seen a lot of athletes getting injured um, just because, you know, they haven't been, uh, you know, I guess keep, keeping fit or having access to gyms or coaching and all that sort of thing. So um, that's definitely on the rise. Um but I hope, you know, to see that, um, you know, with this, hopefully we can catch it early and, and there's enough, I guess, um, uh, education around um, returning to sport and how important um, our physical development is. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, I've seen it with us also here and other um, athletic development um, facilities. Um, you know, there are, you know, parents and athletes and, um, all that sort of stuff. Um, all those people are actually reaching out to to people like us um, to actually, you know, help minimise that risk of injury when they do, you know, return to sport. Um, it was obviously a difficult time over that COVID period. Um, so, you know, it's it's good to see that some people, I guess, getting uh, getting in early before before that uh, high rise of um, injury. So, um, you know there's nothing you know it'll be good to see you know um people actually 
um, taking value out of, you know, good quality coaching and, and structured, you know, strength training, athletic development, when it comes to, you know, reducing that injury risk. Um, so, you know, I think it's crucial more than ever. How can athletes who are listening to this, how can they benefit from reaching out to our, can you kind of explain how can our program sort of help athletes? If you've had some time off from the sport, whether you're playing at an amateur level or a semi-professional or development level, what sort of benefits is from it? If, if, if injuries is going to be the problem, what's the fix? What does it look like? Yeah, right. So um, in my point of view, um, you know, what helps you, I guess, reduce the risk of injury is um, working on your movement efficiency, but also your um, your ability to tolerate uh, forces. So how strong you are um, on the field on whatever sport you're playing, um, especially when it's you know fast-paced sports where you're sprinting, jumping, change directions, all that sort of stuff. Like that's a lot of um, you know a lot of forces going through you know your bones, your muscles, your ligaments, and all that sort of thing. Um, now, if you haven't, you know, you haven't been prepared or you haven't been doing any of those type of movements through that COVID period, and now you're suddenly going straight into it, um, you know, that, that chance of, uh, or that risk of injury goes up. Whereas if you, you know, uh, take a bit of time or um, invest in, in your bodies, um, you know, and, and reach out to, to programs that we, we have, we, we prepare you for that, you know, we strengthen your body, um, to tolerate those, those um, you know, the demands of your sport. Um, you know, we get you moving well, more efficient. And not only that, it's not all about the injury risks. Like we, we you know, help you improve your performance at the end of the day. It's not, not just about the injury risks uh, that we want to reduce. Uh, we obviously want to make you, you know, faster, stronger, fitter, um, on, on, you know, in your sports. So, um, you know, I'm hoping to see that, you know, people do actually... Um, I guess, uh, educated around um, how important that physical development um, side of things will really complement um, your sport and your sporting skills. Yeah, I love it. It's kind of a bit of a case where you don't really know you've lost it until it's gone. You know, we can kind of go by, we can go on our regular training. Like you said, most people play in their sports, whether they do participate in external SNC training or fitness training or something, they're probably doing their two to three training sessions a week and then the game on the weekend. And then when you take that load down, um, you don't really realize what you've lost. And then further to that, you know, we're looking at coming back into new seasons now. We're seeing shortened seasons, accelerated start dates, um, people, sports trying to push their calendars forward. You've got developing athletes playing multiple sports where they might be having shorter breaks between turnovers of seasons, all these things to consider. And I think adding to what you said, what can be really beneficial for, for athletes and parents who might listen to this is when you're looking at what, what the sporting schedule is like, is you're paying attention to changes in that schedule. And so obviously through last year, we had a massive reduction in activity. This year, what we might see is a massive increase in activity. And it's just looking at how we manage that total load. It's not saying that, no, we can't do it. No, we can't fit all that in. It's just about how we go about fitting it in. And what you're saying there, building that base, getting exposed to developing those strength qualities, power qualities, speed qualities, it's going to increase your training uh, tolerance and hopefully reduce that, um, you know, those, those weak points that, that athletes might, might succumb to. What we did see a little bit of, and um, Steph, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this moving forward in, as you move into the football training space, 
is we had the break in the AFL season last year where we had a, a fairly big increase in soft tissue injuries um, during the sort of 90 day break between the season. Um, what I'm interested to get your thoughts on this year now that clubs have had a bit of a run at pre-season and stuff, what are your thoughts on how injuries might occur this year and, and trends that might, might happen? Um, obviously the women's football season starts soon and it's historically known for numerous ACL um, and more motor coordination, motor control injuries. Um, what are your thoughts on sort of what we might see this year with accelerated schedules, shorter training periods and whatnot? Yeah, well, Nathan and yourself covered it pretty well already. I think there will be, especially in the first half of the year, increased injuries, uh, you know, at pretty much any level. Uh, I think, you know, it comes down to, uh, we haven't trained properly for the last, you know, nine months-ish, even longer, and let's get straight back into it, you know, go back to the levels that we were. Uh, but you can't really do that, you know, I think a lot of athletes and even coaches they don't understand you know those sports science principles you know how to actually load properly load management all that uh you know you go to local local footy club or soccer club and the coach is very old school he's just like yeah just go run do this drill you know they won't really understand load management and i think that's where a lot of injuries will come from uh but in saying that i think in the second half of the year, I think, you know, maybe November, December, kind of that pre-season period, I think there will be uh, an increase in uh, like S&C coaches being recruited to like lower level clubs, not just the elite. I think coaches and players will, you know, see the value in a proper strength and conditioning program, uh, especially coming off coming up after covid uh so that's just kind of my little guess little prediction or a trend yeah no i like it mate and i think that's actually a perfect segue one of the things that i wanted to talk about was the influx of strength and conditioning in the private environments and and part of that would be with local sporting clubs you know traditionally we've been pigeonholed throughout our university pathways that will you know, we'll do our internships and we'll work into professional sports, whatever sport that may be. And obviously we all know this quite well, but for the listeners out there, there's a majority, there's a, always a much more uh, demand for um, jobs than there is staff. And we're definitely overcrowded in that space. And I think what we can see now is, is that little things like the AFL lists going from 45 down to 36, 38 means that there's more guys who could be playing, guys and girls who could be playing, you know, at the top level who are now filtering through those bottom leagues. Likewise, the staff boys have done the same. So, you know, strength and conditioning fitness staff that's gone from teams of seven and eight are down to teams of two, three, and four. And then you get a filtering effect where they drip into local levels and private sector facilities and stuff and all that sort of stuff now. And then what we're seeing is, is that the players who were exposed to certain um, training assistants aren't getting that same service anymore. So then they're reaching out in the off season. It was probably a little bit, I reckon if we probably had one or two more months of time for, for private sector to set up a little bit better. We probably would have seen more professional athletes reach out. I think, you know, you would have seen on social media, a few here or there from different sports. I think that will be another thing we've seen. I think it goes hand in hand with what you're saying, Steph, is that as more coaches trickle into that local um, pathway, it won't be so much of a drastic jump from, you know, albeit apart from the full-time part-time commitment from that local level experience to that professional experience as we get 
those coaches in those programs. So that's something that I'd like to see and hopefully it, it comes to fruition is that we see an increase in um, professional athletes reaching out to private sector facilities. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Nate? Uh, definitely. No, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, we, we were both, you know, we all agree here how important um, important that is. And yeah, no, nothing else really just to add to that. Yeah, and I think it's probably important more so for athletes listening to this is that as a coach, we're trained the same way. And, you know, through university and stuff, whether we go into professional sport, whether we go into rehab, whether we go into general pop, we are taught the same skills, the same knowledge, and the same piece of information. We have slightly different variations of experience, but fundamentally, our skill set provides the same ability to provide that service. Whether we wear the tracksuit of a professional sporting club, or whether we wear we wear you know the uniform of a private facility, um, it, it doesn't really matter. The skill sets there, and I think, as more awareness gets out that you can receive the same service that professional sports players receive. At a recreational level, at a community level, as a um, at a, in a private setting, yeah, that's really going to leapfrog our exposure, um, the opportunities for athletes in the developing setting. Um, that it's not just fitness, it's not just personal training, and with all due respect, that, that exists and that serves a purpose for the majority of the population that's needing health and fitness training assistance. But when it comes to looking at specific improvements to sport performance and intervention, um, you know that's That'd be a really positive thing that I think we might be able to start to see as a result of what's occurred across 2020 and moving across to 2021. I've got a few predictions here um, or trends I think that may continue um, and just seeing in any of these as you've seen fit guys. For those that don't know, we've started our TikTok. It's taken us just over two weeks to reach just under 1,300 followers. So it's a really fast growing platform for any coaches or for any of the young kids listening on this, they'll know how quick it works. Um, but I see that becoming a really, really big platform for health and fitness. It already is. There's a lot of people on there already posting um, information. And what I'll add to that is, I'll put a little disclaimer, is I think it's really important for people who are not finding snippets of information on social media, which as a platform is fantastic for that. It's probably how you came across this podcast. Is understand the source of your information. So we can all test, we all know that we've come from degrees, we've got our qualifications and experience, and we know that we can hold ourselves accountable when we make claims or provide training um, ideas and stuff on our social media platforms. What I suggest for listeners out there, if you're absorbing information and, and, um, and, and um, taking in information from social media, understand the source it's coming from, understand the voice, the information behind the voice, what might be visually appealing, what might be visually attractive, doesn't necessarily mean it's appropriate for you. Uh, and within that, if you find something that you might think suits your training or your performance, or you might benefit from, always seek professional advice, you know, from an injury rehab perspective, make sure you're touching base with physio, doctors, sports doctor, you might come across a similar anecdote or a similar example on social media, but getting that um, confirmation from a professional is absolutely critical. The benefit of the platform, and I'll refer back to TikTok as, as we're sort of growing into it, is there are lots of professionals on there and use that, follow the links, find their websites, reach out to their professional services if it's something you're interested in. But in terms of exposure, in terms of understanding and educating and advertising what it is that we do and really trying to explain strength and conditioning, it's a fantastic 
platform. It all happens a million miles an hour. I feel like an old person on it. I'm not sure if either of you two spend any time scrolling on the TikTok. I'm not on it yet. <laughs> no. I'm not cool enough to be on TikTok. But I definitely uh, know that it's very um, it's a very handy tool uh, nowadays. Yeah, and just on that as well, there's a lot of people, um, you know, the further, the further predictions that is now that these TikTok platforms, Instagram and stuff exist, is there's a lot of people who are selling different programs and stuff. And it goes back to that same concept is that in 2021, we know how Zoom works now. Everyone's accustomed to that, whether you went through online learning at school, this and that, we understand how that platform works. It is possible to deliver, you know, strength and conditioning consult consultations, assistance, you know, you can have consultations with dietitians, all those sorts of things that don't require the physical training um, that can set you up really well. Technology has so many great apps for programming. If you are purchasing anything online, if you are following any programs, we always recommend best practices face-to-face -face training. But if you're in, you know, you're in an area that doesn't facilitate that, you don't have access to that, um, then finding programs and resources by credentialed people is going to be really, really critical. You know, there might be someone with a great rig um, doing some great exercises on social media, but do your due diligence, do your research, make sure it's credible, make sure it's suitable for you um, and don't waste your money. There's a, what, what I want to finish with that is saying that there's a lot of great stuff out there, but there's a lot of crap too. So make sure you do diligence, search through it, find someone credentialed. Um, there's, there's a lot of great stuff out there. Um, the next one I've got is strength and conditioning always seems to find a way to have something that seems to be the biggest priority at the time. We've seen it grow over the last few years and I think it'll probably consolidate itself this year is probably the, the number one. I won't say it's a fad because it is a critical part of training, but I guess the selling point or the leverage point people use as their point of difference is, is the running mechanics, um, which we're really big on have been for a few years. I think we'll see that increase and for a positive sense it is critical in australia the amount of field and court-based sports that exist where running is a predominant skill that we have uh, you'll always use the example of if you play a game of football soccer um, football for example if you have the ball 30 times in a game you're only going to have the ball for two and a half minutes so for 95 percent of the game you're not even going to have the ball and you're going to be running around so having the ability to be able to run well is going to improve and feed all those other skills that's why we value on it. I think we'll see an increase in that as people understand the technical elements more and understand how to coach it and understand how we can apply it to sports performance. I know you guys are both pretty big on it as well. Um, Stefan, as I said earlier, you're working with a football club this year. Any thoughts on how you're going to integrate running, whether it be from a conditioning perspective or a skills perspective in 2021, you know, working with a, a, a community-based club trying to improve their standards? Yeah, well, I'm working with like a seniors team. So there's a big, uh, you know, skill and age gap there. Some kids are 18, you know, some of them are 35, 40 plus. Uh, I haven't worked with them long enough to kind of get a good idea of their running ability. But I guess once we start pre-season and in-season, you know, definitely like start with some type of technical and teaching element of running. I think, you know, 95% of those guys will get something out of a 10 minute technical session, you know, twice a week. Uh, but I think for majority, you know, I'd probably be more focused on the actual conditioning and getting them fit, you know, building that base. I think 
you know, long term, that's probably a higher priority for me and for the team. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I love that. Simple. It's a really great insight to to what you'll be focusing on and probably a good one. You know, the majority, you know, we're an Australian population. We're going to be playing those community-based, local-based sports. So what are you doing to get better? Having that fitness base off some time off is, is going to be a critical way to go. Nutrition and, and diet is always a common one each year as people roll through their New Year's resolutions and set themselves up for another year. And we tend to see different celebrities and, and personalities sell a different product or a different nutrition whiz or the next fat blaster or this eat this food and it's going to shed 10 kilos of body weight straight off your body. Um, so I've got a couple of predictions in which I see sort of the marketing going. But what I want to reiterate with this is that we always want to be mindful um, with this sort of stuff is that there is no one way to nutrition or to eat healthy. It's about finding the the fit uh, the size the size that fits you the approach that suits you um, as always you know reaching out to uh, accredited dietitians and nutritionists is the way to go but marketing will exist and if we can kind of talk about it a little bit break it down how it works um, it makes it easy for the listener and for context of this I'll give a really good example I used to work in a gym um, a PT studio in Melbourne a few years ago and I had a Wednesday session, 6 till 7 a.m. every morning and 7.15 on the dot on Wednesday mornings, Sunrise would roll out a new diet every single week and it was a different variation of the same thing. And what it was for them is that they had organised every week that they were going to have a diet topic. And the problem with that is, is that there's not that they're manufacturing ideas and concepts and diets just to suit a story and just to tell a narrative and, and to sell a product or to sell an idea. There are fundamentals we understand, and I know all you guys understand this about sports science and nutrition that exist. What marketing will do and what media will do is that they will tell stories to make it feel like we need to consume more products, try different things, reach out to more services. But there is a fundamental structure that is relevant to the individual. So what I'm going to go on to talk about isn't specific to what would happen or what we should focus on. It's more of a prediction of what I think will happen. Um, but as always, for your own individual nutrition and health, always seek out you know those accredited professionals. So we've seen probably a positive shift. Um, I guess it depends on which side of the fence you sit on. If you're um, moving towards that plant-based environment and exposure through the media, then you probably hear that protein isn't sold um, as, as positively as it is from people who eat um, you know, all sorts of foods. And then from people who are probably consuming media that resolves, revolves around eating all sorts of foods, we're seeing protein become that number one nutrient. And there's a pattern over time in history that we see the macronutrients, so carbs, fats, and proteins, shift in their priority. And if you look at different diet narratives, what you find is that different diet narratives have a different macronutrient that's priority. If we step back from that and look at that as professionals, we understand that fats serve a purpose, proteins serve a purpose, and carbs serve a purpose. So what I'm saying is, no, it's not that protein is number one, but my prediction for 2021 will be that we'll see protein in the media promoted as a probably the, uh, you know, when we're looking at product sales and stuff, high protein this, high protein that, extra protein, whether it's milk ads or protein bar ads or something or healthy snacks, 
that's the media I expect to see. I think we'll see carbs get a little bit of a reprieve. They've probably been the devil for the best part of the last few decades. I think um, as people start to understand calorie deficit as a concept, not as a diet, but as a concept, that is the, the key to, to fat loss and, and weight management more so than the carbs are the enemy. I think we'll see a little bit of a reprieve. We all know that that's critical for, for health and performance. Um, so they're, they're probably the two main ones. And then further to that, I think we'll see some growth into people promoting niche diets um, beyond the general, I guess if we look at paleo it's quite general, it only really excludes carbohydrates and a few other types of grains and whatnot. Um, we see plant-based only really excludes um, you know, elements of protein sources from, from animal products and whatnot. I think the one I see growing this year with media attention and something that people can sell is probably the carnivore diet. So let's see what happens there. For those that don't know, it's pretty much an all animal product only diet. Um, and people will go out and they'll just eat meat, predominantly red meat, predominantly lean red meat um, and organs. Um, and the, the concept is that they'll be able to get all their essential um, vitamins and minerals from that source, um, as well as macronutrients through fats and proteins and, and, and live off a, a low carb diet. So by no means are we advocating for this at all. This is purely a prediction for what we might see in trends. So keep an open mind if you see marketing and trends pop up over the next year. Just wanted to grab your thoughts on those guys with your own experience, if you're seeing stuff in the media or if um, any of that resonates with you or if you've got any other predictions that you might see in that nutrition space. Yeah, I've noticed with conversation with clients um, that people are under eating proteins. Um, you know, they find it easy to get that carbohydrate intake and the fats intake, but I guess, um, yeah, I think because of the popularity around, you know, the the vegan diets and the plant-based diets and all that sort of thing, people are kind of, I guess, trying away from protein and thinking it's bad. Um, so it's been, I guess, good to have conversations where um, where we can give them a reassurance that actually, you know, eating meat and protein is actually really good for you. Um, obviously, staying away from the you know, high fat, um, you know, high fat meats, you know, that lean lean beef. Um, you know, eating particular parts of, you know, chicken that's, you know, lower in fat and that sort of thing. Um, you know, being able to actually educate the clients on that sort of thing um, has been, been really good, um, you know, to actually let them know that protein is, is good for you. Um, and obviously telling them the importance of um, why, you know, it's important um, for, you know, building muscle, you know, for immune function and, and so many different functions within our, um, you know, body systems, um, you know, we need protein. And not only that, it, it, you know, if, if weight loss is your, um, your goal, protein, um, protein keeps you, you know, full, like fuller, like you, it's such a simple thing to add to your diet. Um, you know, if you're eating carbs and fats, you kind of start you know, that's, that's the stuff that's going to um, give you energy. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know how to, how to sort of finish on that point, but um, you know, proteins are a really, you know, easy way and easy thing to add to your diet and, um, and not, you know, put on those extra, extra kilos and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
What about you, Stefan? Any, um, I know you take your pride in your nutrition, look after yourself very well. So any things that you've, you see from your angle in the media, obviously we all live in the algorithm world now, so we all get fed slightly different stuff. Interested to hear what, what sort of your predictions might be on this or if you agree or disagree. I, I reckon uh, Vito, uh, not Vito, <laughs> keto and vegan diets still got another five years at the top. Yep. Popular and the king for a while. Like, I have my opinions on both, but I think, yeah, they're just way too popular and they're getting more popular. I think they're going to reign supreme for another few years. Yeah. I think yeah. where you go with that as well is that they're kind of not necessarily opposing, but to eat a heavy keto diet, you need to be eating. It's, it's very inconvenient to not be consuming animal products. So therefore you get people that associate with that. And then contrary to that, it's very, very easy to eat um, or get yeah, very easy plant-based without being keto. So you, they kind of facilitate people who are interested in both elements. And then what I see, I guess, my point with, with carnivore is that we'll see growth in it because it's a variation of people who have gone into keto. And what we tend to see with people <clears throat> is that their patterns will reflect a continual variation of behaviour. Um, and for context as well, and for reference, my... my advice on any of this is to is that there's no specific fit and when you start identifying with particular eating traits and stuff is it can become quite um, intrusive and having the ability to be flexible and open-minded and, and tolerable to different ways of eating to suit your needs is really really important without going from a nutrition perspective if we think about it from a performance perspective if we considered styles of eating the same as training as in that eating carnivore was um, our strength training and eating vegan was our cardio. If we just did cardio, we'd have deficiencies in our physical development in different elements. If we just did strength training, we'd lack the development in our cardiovascular system. And so when we're training the body, we stimulate it with different elements. But when some people decide to, um, go down certain nutrition paths, it makes it harder to get what they need. It doesn't mean you cannot do it. You know, we, we train athletes that are um, completely vegetarian and vegan. And I, you know, for the record, I don't train anyone that's much the opposite way, but you can supplement, you can find solutions, but it requires more work. Same way with training, like you can supplement elements of your training in, but it's harder if you're avoiding certain styles of training. So it's a simple way to think about it is that if we balance our training, we get strong improvements if we balance our nutrition with healthy good sources then we get those improvements so it's a simple way to think about what can often be considered a very complex thing we'll wrap things up quickly a couple of last predictions i see for 2021 um, is i think whether it's in australia or not hopefully not um, touch wood but we probably are going to see some more lockdowns and sports going to bubbles so prepare for that. If you're an athlete, I think it's really, really critical that you focus on things like your emotional health, your social health, having that balance, especially if you are having to quarantine at different times, making sure you're keeping, keeping a strong social network around you of support so you have that balance and that outlet because whilst your physical um, health and your training might skew up and down if you're faced in these circumstances where you're having to self-isolate for 14 days for various reasons, 
and you have access to training, we might get a detraining, but keep your networks up, have that support network around you. It's going to be critical because you just don't know when you're going to be facing a lockdown um, or a bubble situation. Um, so less of a physical focus and more of a, an attention to your mental focus. And my very last prediction is, I think the Tokyo Olympics are going to be cancelled again. So I, I, I'm not, not very politically um, savvy, but if I was running a country, I don't think that people would be happy if we were bringing people from all over the world, from every other country to our country with, um, with the way numbers are across the world and, and, and vaccine rollout and stuff. So that's my prediction. Any last words from you guys on that? No, I think that's it. I think with the Olympics, I think they will do it, but no crowds at all. Okay. It'll be strict as hell, but um, and then obviously, yeah, they come compete. Once they're finished, they got to go within forty-eight hours or twenty-four hours, whatever it is. You yeah. Can't watch anyone's competitions, nothing. It's just compete, and go home. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Steph, any thoughts? Oh. It'd be interesting to see what happens with the Olympics. You know, maybe they'll do, you know, 100 meter sprint every second lane. You know, social distance when they're racing. Uh, but yeah, no crowds kind of seems right. Uh, yeah, just I guess it depends. Whereas at Tokyo, Japan depends on their vaccine and how effective it is. Uh, but yeah, who knows if they can afford to cancel it again or delay it. Yes, it'll be, it'll be very, very interesting. And for the record, for those who don't know, it was the first Olympics that was delayed, not the first one that's been cancelled. So they're pretty adamant they want to run it. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, guys, thanks so much for jumping on today. For the listeners out there, if you've got any questions, follow-ups, you can reach out to us um, on our website, through our website, www.athleteperformanceeducation.com, on our socials, athleteperformance underscore ed. Um, and we'd love to hear from you soon. Thanks for listening.